Matthew chapter 28 and 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read two passages of Scripture, a couple verses in each. So put a finger in Matthew 28 and then, or put a finger in 2 Corinthians 5. We'll go there after we read the other one, if the preacher can find the verse. There it is. Okay. Matthew 28, verse 19. Well, let's start with 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. We must all, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things, that he, uh, the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Lord, bless the, the reading now and the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord's last command to the church was to go into the world and preach the gospel. We read it right here in Matthew chapter 28, 18, 19, and 20. He wants this world to be reached with the gospel. So important that Jesus said it four other times. He said it in each one of the gospels. He said it here. He said it in Mark 16 and 15. He said it in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. He said it in John 20 and 21. And he said it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 before he ascended back to heaven. He said that. Now, if Jesus says something one time, he means it. If he says something a couple times, he's really trying to get your attention. But if he says it five times, I think God's serious about this. He wants us to get this message that this is, he's concerned about the fact that he wants us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All that we do as a church and as individuals in the church should be somehow engaged in this matter of reaching the lost here and around the world. I said Sunday school class this morning, aren't you glad somebody had compassion on you? Aren't you glad somebody reached you? I was a lost serviceman stationed overseas. I thought would be a long way away from any gospel. Well, God has a way of reaching you wherever you're at. Some, a praying mother and dad was praying me in, I guarantee it. And God sent a missionary, one like your church supports, and to start a church among the military there where I was stationed, and that's how I got saved. And I'm so thankful that I got in, so to speak, in Christ, in salvation through a ministry of reaching the lost like I'm promoting right now. That's why I love doing missions. I love preaching missions. I love, one day, hey, I was preaching, I had a missions-hearted church in Louisiana. We had, we've supported over 150 missionaries. We were given a, a, over a quarter million dollars a year to missions, and God one day said, get in the plate. And I said, what? I said, I'm giving an offer. And he said, no, I want you to get in. He called me out of that country, the country, Louisiana. It is, it is a different country, by the way. Out of that state and sent us to Sudan, Africa. And uh, at that time, the largest country in Africa. And then they had just gotten their independence from the north and they became southern Sudan. We were there on Independence Day in 2009 when the flag went up. 
to be in a country when the flag goes up for the first time. My wife says it were like the walls of Jericho coming down. That's how it sounded when daylight struck. And when you live on the equator, daylight happens at 6 o'clock. I mean, or 7, excuse me, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock it comes up, and 7 o'clock it goes down, just like a curtain. Well, a little bit before 7 o'clock that morning, people were coming out, and they were beating on their pots and pans, and they were, I mean, it was crazy all day. I mean, a country was born, and they were born for religious freedom. They were born, but they, they needed the gospel. Well, listen, I, God put that on my heart, and, and we spent what we were thought would be the rest of our life over there. But after four years, God called us to my country. I told our fellows that we trained us. I've got a burden for my country and um, had a burden for California. And I've still got a burden for California. So I believe the call of God brought me here, and the call of God is what motivates us to do what we're called to do. Why? Because he told us to do that. He told us over and over again to do this. The other scripture we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's a believer's judgment. This is, there's two judgments that everyone will attend one of them. The believers will attend the judgment seat of Christ. We're not there because of our sins. Our sins were judged on Calvary, praise God. Well, I'm not going to face my sins at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus took those away from me when I was saved. And praise the Lord, they're judged already. But the Bible right there says that I will be judged for how I live my life. How I live my life. The other judgment is the great white throne judgment at the end of the, the, the thousand-year tribulation or thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus when all the dead will be resurrected and stand before Jesus Christ and there be cast into the lake of fire. That's a judgment of the lost. I believe we'll be there as monitors, but we won't be participating in that judgment. But we as believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I believe that this command will be his first concern at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what I wanted to talk to you about for a few minutes this morning. His last command will be his first concern at the judgment seat of Christ. I think there will be other things judged, but I think this will be his primary concern. How was you and I involved in what he told us to do? The last thing he told us to do, and he told it five different, it was re- recorded five different times, that he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To baptize them, it says here, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them. So the whole idea is, that God wants us to win souls, baptize them in local churches. That's what these missionaries are doing. They're starting local churches like this one. Some of them aren't exactly like this in that the locale. Every church we started in southern Sudan was under a mango tree. The British years ago took a mango seed, and I'm so thankful they did, and planted it in that, in that equatorial African sun, and we had mangoes everywhere. And we had mango trees everywhere. And we would plant, uh, our churches would always start under a mango tree. And that was beautiful. Sometimes the building was worse than the mango tree, you know. I mean, we started churches. This is interesting. You'll pastor love this. We got there right after the war. It was a 50-year war with a few-year break in between. We got there right after the war. There were mines, landmines all over the place. If you were driving down the road, you had to relieve yourself. You couldn't leave the road to do it. There were signs that said, mines in this area. You can't, I thought, this is different. But anyway, 
we, we were starting a church one time, and, and I'm sitting down on the bench that they had there for me getting ready to preach. And we, this is our first service at a new church plant. And I look down, and I'm looking at spent AK-47 rounds. And I picked them up, and I said to Karen, I said, they were here. Because <laughs> the, the enemy, of course, funded by the North, the Muslims, uh, wanted to convert the Christian South. That's what the war was all about. And everywhere we went, under a mango tree or there, there were all the time we'd see those AK-47, spent AK-47 rounds. And every now and then you'd see a, one that wasn't spent. But anyway, what did they do? What did we do? We started churches like this one, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. So this is what we're to do. We're told what to do, and we're told how to do it, we're told to do this over and over again. And I believe this will be one of the main concerns, if not the first concern of our Lord when we stand before Him. How are you personally involved in doing what I told you to do? It's local church business. It's local church activity. But how are you personally involved? Now, why does the Lord want us to be involved in this great work of reaching the lost? and discipling them into the local church. Well, I could give you many reasons, but I want to give you four reasons this morning. One, because He has committed unto us the gospel, and He expects dividends. He has committed unto us the gospel, and He expects dividends. Go back with me to uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy, of course, was written by Paul to his young protege or young pastor Timothy and he had trained him and and he writes him this this book and he says in the first chapter verse 11 according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust Paul said this gospel has been committed to me look at it in verse 18 this charge I commit unto thee son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Over in 2 Timothy, he says it in chapter 2, in verse number 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This word commit, it means to deposit. The gospel is deposited into our lives. And we are to deposit it into others' lives. That's what he said. He said, hey, the things you've heard me say, Timothy, I want you to deposit them into other people who can turn around and give it to other people who can turn around and give it to other people. And you know what? They did it. You know how I know they did it? Because we're here this morning. We're here. The message that Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach, it's still being preached. Praise God, it reached our shores. Praise God, it reached England. And then from there, it came on. Hey, I'm glad this morning that these guys obeyed. Now it's our turn. We've got to take it on. We've got to go. So think about this. We have committed ourselves to the Lord in salvation. Paul said it there in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, or 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, for the which thing uh, cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I knew who I believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So get it, think, think about it like this. The gospel was given to us. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, you committed your soul to him. Now, he says that same gospel that's yours now 
It's not yours. We're just managers of it. We're stewards. It's his gospel, but we are to commit it to this world. So why should we do what God told us to do? Because he has committed unto us the gospel and he expects dividends. What does he call it? He calls it fruit. You know, if you go down to the bank and you put in money into an account, you can expect dividends. Now, you're not going to, don't expect much, okay, really, because <laughs> you're not going to get much, okay? That's why, you don't get much. That's why they charge you a certain amount of interest to, to uh, when they, you want to borrow money and then they don't give you any interest. That's why they have nice buildings and nice cars and, and they don't give you. But the whole idea is when you invest money in the stock market or whatever, that's probably not a good idea right now either. So, man, these illustrations just aren't working. I don't know. But anyway, I think you get the idea where I'm going with this is you commit the money or whatever. You expect something in return. Well, so does the Lord. He expects it. He calls it fruit. He calls it fruit. John 15, 16, he says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. that You should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Fruit, go and bring forth fruit. That's dividends. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, I understand that the only fruit mentioned is not souls, but there, uh, there's the fruit of the Spirit. There's other fruit of different... But there is the fruit of souls that God expects from us. The fruit of the righteous is a tree. How's your tree this morning? How's your tree? God expects fruit from our lives, and that fruit is souls. So he's committed unto us the gospel, and he expects fruit or dividends in return. Again, we're stewards of that. That is, we're managers of another person's property. And what we're, as a steward, God wants us to be faithful. Faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ... And stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we need to be faithful in this matter of committing the gospel that's been committed to us unto others. And how does that work? Well, it works personally by your personal witness. It works corporately by us getting involved in the missions program of this church, by praying, by going yourself, or by giving your offerings so that the missionaries can go in our stead. There's a place in James that talks about they're reaping in our fields. You know, the field, they, they're reaping in our fields that we can't go there. I can't go to Papua New Guinea this morning and, be, and preach also in Sacramento. But I can through missions. I can through missions. I can, I can give an offering to a missionary that's in Papua New Guinea. And when, and when New Guineans get saved and, and, and the gospel is preached there and souls are saved, I had a part in that because I'm committing my offerings to the Lord and they're committing the gospel there while I'm doing it here. So God expects dividends that he's committed to us the gospel. Second reason I think it's to be our number one priority in our lives is because it's possible to do it. It's possible to do it. The Lord didn't give an impossible command. Now we look at the world's population and I looked at it again last night, 7.8, almost 7.9 billion people. We're soon to be 8 billion people on planet Earth. And we look at that and we think, oh man, how, there's no way. There's no way. But look at the Lord's command again back in Matthew. 
Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's the key right there. I can't do it, and you can't do it, but he can do it. And the Lord wouldn't give us a command that we couldn't do. So we're responsible to do it. And he, it's possible to do it through his power and his strength alone. We can't do it in our own strength. I was telling the people last night, I think of 78,000 people, Rancho Cordova. And as far as I know, I think I'm right about this. We're the only independent Baptist church. There may be another, I just found out about it, another work the other day that's pastored by a Filipino man. Praise God for that. But um, listen, there's room. Man, every time I talk to somebody back east, I say, hey, send us some laborers. We need workers out here. We've got people leaving California. We need people out here. You know, they always talk about people leaving California. They don't talk about how many people are moving to California. I don't know. I know there's still people here. One of our church members said recently to me, he said, Preacher, they talk about all these people moving. Where I haven't seen any leave. You know, really, on the highways, you go out to the highways, and there's still a lot of traffic. What am I saying? There's a lot of people out here. We need people out here. There's no way I could do it. But yet God says, do it. So, Lord, I need your power. I need your strength. I need your wisdom on how you want me to reach my city for Jesus Christ. How you want me to do it. How can us, our church is just about the same size as this church, how can we do it? How can you reach North Highlands? I don't really know, but I know that it's possible because God says we can do it. Chapter 2 of the book of Acts. If you just look at the book of Acts, you see that they got the job done. In chapter 2, the church receives 120 there, receive the Holy Spirit. 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost and added to the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 47 says, And they that were saved were added to the church. So that's in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and verses 4, the church is persecuted because God told them to go into all the world. And they didn't do it. They stayed in Jerusalem. So God brought some persecution and they, they scattered like a covey of quail. I mean, they went out, right? God brought persecution and they went. See, when God tells you to do something, it's best just to obey because he's going to stay after you. He knows how to, just where to squeeze, doesn't he? I mean, he, he knows just exactly what to, where to touch to get you to go. Well, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 8, they went everywhere preaching the word. Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. It says, these are they that have turned the world upside down. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Paul says, I am pure from the blood of all men. Sounds like to me they did the job. They did it. Now, how do we do it? How do they do it? We do it one, one person at a time. We do it one soul at a time. If you reach one person, now you may have heard this illustration, but it's, it's amazing illustration. You reach one person and you teach that person to do what you did to him or her. You reach them, you win them to Jesus Christ, you train them to go and do the same thing. If the two of you do it next year, you're going to have four. If you just keep doing the math, four do it the next year, you're going to have eight. The next year, 16. So you just keep doing the math. This is you doing it every year. In 36 years, well, about 40 now, you, it'll, you, we can reach 8 billion people. If... We just reach one person a year and continue to do that every year. Now, that sounds easy to do, but it's hard. You may have to 
witness to a lot of people before you lead one person to Christ. But I say we need to be involved in doing this because we can get it done. Now we have other ways to get it done. We have the internet. We have, we have the uh, uh, internet. We have ways to get the gospel out. We put our messages online and, and I get a report every month of who's listening. Man, we have people all over the world listening to messages. I think, praise God for that. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know what, we, there's no reverse gears. We've got to go forward because we can get it done. God told us to do it. It's possible. Now, how can we do it? Well, just from these verses we read, and we won't look at them again, but we have the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. Then he said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So he's with us. We have the power of the Lord to do it. We have his power. We have his presence. Not only his power, but his presence. He says, all power is given unto me. How much power do you need? That's all power. We had people when we were in Sudan, they'd say, who sent you here? I'd say, Jesus. They'd say, no, really, who? <laughs> I'd say, he's enough. But they wanted to know some, you know, earthly entity that had sent us there. I'd say, okay, and I told them the name of our church. That didn't work very well either. But the truth is, we go on the authority, these missionaries go on the authority of Jesus Christ. All power, he says, given unto me, go ye therefore. Based on the power that he says, I have, go. And he, we have his presence. We have his presence. And I've felt that presence. I've sensed that presence. So much in my life. I've sensed that presence in the deepest part of, of the bush where we were lost. I told the Sunday school this morning. where we were, It was dark sometimes. I mean, demonic areas. We would take the Jesus film. It's a two-hour long film based on the book of Luke, and they've done it in multiple languages. And we would take that film into the, the, the village, remote villages, and we'd hang up a, uh, a sheet on two trees or maybe a soccer field, if they had that, poles, and we'd fire up a little generator we had, and we'd show that movie, and we'd have those, those Africans would come, and they would stand for two hours. Some of them brought their chairs, but most of them would stand for two hours. That's how long that film is, and watch that film. And usually when we'd go into these areas that were unevangelized, there would always be, uh, or usually, I not say always, but usually there would be a demonic manifestation. I remember the first time it happened. <laughs> oh, I'm up here with the equipment, right? I'm playing the film, making sure the generator is running. And one of the other, the preacher boys comes up and he says, Pastor, there's a lady back there with a demon. Now, I wasn't expecting that, you know, but I said, okay, go back there and deal with it. <laughs> I didn't know what to, <laughs> I didn't know what, so he says, okay, we're going to go deal with it. And they came back a little bit later and said, I said, what happened? He said, she got saved. See, that's what happened. When Jesus moves in, the demons move out. Amen. What am I saying is we went into some dark areas, so the least evangelized areas, we had more demonic manifestations. And you talk to missionaries, any missionaries, and they will say that the less evangelized areas, you'll see more demonic manifestations. And you know what? We're seeing this in America today. Yeah. We're seeing it in America. And you know why? Because America is becoming less evangelized. Our state is not an evangelized state. Oh, they have access to the gospel, but we're not, we're not nearly reaching as many people as we need to. And so we're, we'll see this. Just expect that, that that's normal. But Jesus said we've got his presence. We've got his wisdom. He 
He said in James chapter 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He'll give us wisdom. And Man, how often we need God's wisdom in this matter of reaching people for the Lord. People come to the Lord now, and I used to say, they, boy, they've got some baggage. We're, we move past baggage to cargo, okay? <laughs> people come to the Lord, and they just messed up. But you know what? I've seen God fix messes. I was pretty messed up when I came to the Lord, too. God fixed me, and God will fix people. But you need wisdom as you're doing it. We got the strength of the Lord. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And that was said in the midst of, in the middle of a missionary church, to a missionary church. When we're doing his bidding, doing his work, we've got the wisdom and strength of the Lord. We've got the provisions of the Lord, and we've got his plan. What is his plan? We read it, make disciples, start churches, Teach them to do the same and go and do the same. So why should we do it? Because it's possible to do. The third reason is because there's nothing more valuable than a soul. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Mark 8 and 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If you took all the riches of the whole world, you would not even get close to the value of a soul. Jesus valued a soul so much that it was prophesied of him in Isaiah 53, and it happened that he gave his own soul for the soul. The Bible says that God, the Father, would look on the travail of his soul, Jesus, and be satisfied. He gave his own soul. Jesus spoke about the value of one in Luke chapter 15 when he talked about one lost sheep, one lost coin, and one lost son. There's value in one. We're willing to go into the boonies to reach one soul for Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're worth it. Some of you may have lost loved ones this morning. I want to tell you something. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Maybe children that have walked away from the Lord. Keep praying for them. I know what that's like. I've got a son that's not with the Lord right now, and I know, I know what it's like. And, and the value of a soul. There's the value of a soul. Keep praying for them. Keep trying to reach that person for Jesus Christ because the soul is so valuable. Think about the separation that the soul will experience when they die without Jesus Christ in hell forever. Someone said one of the most worst things in hell is that, that there is no good there. If a person dies without Jesus Christ, we know that this book right here says they go directly to hell. I'm glad somebody rescued me. There's no getting out of hell. I think one of the most Haunting things about 9-11 for me when those planes hit those buildings was, was watching those people jump out of the buildings. They didn't want to burn to death, so they chose to die this way. But you know, there's no jumping out of hell. There's a real hell with real flames and real torment, and it's for eternity, and there's no jumping out. We gotta reach, we've got to reach souls. For the value of a soul. When we share the gospel with someone and they trust Jesus Christ, 
It starts a celebration in heaven that will last forever. It will last forever. There is joy in the presence of the angels that will last forever. The value of a soul. And then lastly, because God is glorified when we bear fruit. We should make his last command our first concern because the gospel is committed unto us and he expects dividends because of the, the, of it's possible to do because of the value of a soul, and because God's glorified when we bear fruit. John chapter 15 again. John 15 and verse 8. He says, Here is my, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Our ultimate goal in life is to glorify God in all that we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says it like this, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if our goal is to glorify God in everything, here he says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God is glorified when we bear fruit. God is glorified. God gets the glory. We get to share in that glory. We get to share. We don't take the glory, but we get to share in that, in that joy of somebody coming to Christ Listen, when the prayer letters are read and, and, and you read about Juan getting saved in Mexico or, or Mr. You know, Yo in China or something like that, you get to share in that, in, that, in that joy because they got saved. You had a part in that because you're involved in the missions of this church. But I want to tell you something. God's glorified in that. God gets all the glory. Praise God. There's people like Sarah. Sarah was a young girl that I met up in Sudan, one of my first trips up there. And Sarah was meaner than a snake. <laughs> she, she worked at, a, at the place I was staying at, the guest house. And Sarah was, she was a part Sudanese and part Ugandan. And she was a mean little girl, but she had to be mean. She grew up without parents. And she, had to, she was working a full-time job from the time she was eight for a terrible aunt. But Sarah got saved and couldn't read, but she could speak six languages. Couldn't read or write. My wife taught Sarah. We took her in as our daughter. We brought her back to Sudan from, and she traveled with us. And that language helped because Sarah would say, Preacher, they're talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> they thought she was from Uganda with us, right? And they didn't know that she was a Sudanese and they'd be talking. And, and we would go, she'd say, Pastor, they're talking about you. But, you know, I said, What'd they say? Oh, they said this and that. But anyway, um, Sarah, Karen taught her to read. English by reading the King James Bible. Sarah's got two sons now, and they're both serving the Lord. And one of them's a, a preacher Amen. for the glory of God. You know, that just she calls me. She says, "I just want to thank you for loving me." There's there's people like Frankie in our church. Some of you have met Frankie. She gave her testimony at the Victory Gospel Crusade. Frankie came to our church. She was messed up. The first time she came to our church, she heard me preach. I don't know what I did, but I said something about Catholicism in the message. And the only religion she ever had any hold to was that. And she got mad and left. And the lady that invited her said, just, just come one more time. He won't say it next time. Just come one more time. <laughs> and she did. She came one more time and she got gloriously saved. And now, praise God, God's put her marriage back together, gave her three more children. She's got five children, loves Jesus, serves Jesus. She's a soul winner for Jesus. Listen, God's glorified in all that. You've got stories. If you don't have stories like that, go, go get some. 
Go get some. Kind of like the during the Civil War, there's this story told by John R. Rice told this story in one of his books about this young Confederate soldier that his first day out, you know. I mean, they were it was hard, the battle was tough, and and they were out fighting all day and and uh at the end of the day, when they came back to camp, they said, hey, where's, where's Joe at? I said, I don't know. He must, have, he must not have made it today. Anybody seen Joe? No, I've seen Joe. About an hour later, here he comes out of the woods. There's about 20 Union soldiers, and here's Joe marching behind him. And they said, Joe, what happened? He said, the woods are full of them out there, man. I just went and got a bunch of them. <laughs> and that's what I think as far as soul winning. The woods are full of them. Just waiting for us to get involved in what God's involved in. His first concern at the judgment seat of Christ, I believe, is going to be his last command. How were we involved in what he said to do over and over and over again? I pray that that'll be a challenge to my heart. It's been a challenge to mine. I pray it'll be a challenge to your heart as well. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the privilege to preach one more time. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning, message mainly to Christians, but if there's anyone here today that's not saved, help them to realize that their destiny is hell unless they are saved. And God, we would love to see them trust Christ today in this service. If there's anyone like that today, Father, I pray that you'd touch their heart and they'll come to know Jesus as their Savior. Seal these things in our hearts. Help us to be about your business. Lord, this is your business. And we want to be involved in it. In Jesus' name, amen.